when you decide you want to go on vacation, you are making a transformational decision. And it's such a privilege and such an honor. There's so much power in that decision. Mm. And there's so few people on the planet that get to make that decision because you have the, you have the time, you have the money, you have so many things are in your favor to be able to make that decision. So you don't have a right to anything. You have this privilege and you should not go expecting anything to deliver some subservient service because you have money and you decide to travel. If you really want to get all the benefits of travel, you have to understand what a privilege, privilege it is to have that opportunity and the power you have making that decision. When people understand that, that is when we will tra travel will truly change the world and move everything forward, whether it's poverty alleviation, planet protection, you know, sustainability, responsible travel, you know, wealth distribution. It can be so many things. It's a $10 trillion industry. That's Bruce Poon Tip, founder of G Adventures, the world's largest small group adventure travel company that was conceived 30 years ago during a solo backpack trip. Bruce started G Adventures with nothing more than two credit cards and a burning desire to create authentic, sustainable travel experiences. What he created was a community of social impact travelers. Welcome, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Like us, Bruce Poon Tip believes in the power of travel to be a positive force for change. As a social entrepreneur, Bruce is a pioneer of community tourism, travel experiences that are built to support local communities. When asked how he was able to grow G Adventures from such a humble beginning to now a global force for good in the travel space, Bruce attributes his success to something he calls his fifth gear. Bruce says the fifth gear is something immigrants acquire. To better understand this fifth gear and how it relates to his success and philanthropic mission, we asked Bruce to take us back to the time when his family immigrated from Trinidad to Alberta, Canada. Ah, oh, well, that's, that's going way back. <laughs> but, um, well, I moved very young. So um, I was three. But um, I think the challenges for us as an immigrant family is we, my, we have a large family, so there's seven kids in my family. So my parents moved with seven, seven children. So that in itself was, was the bigger challenge. And moving to Alberta, and this is the late 60s, right? So, um, so it was a very different time then, and it was very difficult. It was extremely challenging outside of the pressures of being a person of color in, uh, you know, oil country, you know, cow town, Calgary. Um, in the late 60s, um, there, was this, there, there was the challenges of the every immigrant faces of starting in a new society, starting a new culture, um, you know, moving from the equator to a, a, a frigid, cold um, winter, which my parents never anticipated or did any research on, by the way. Um, and um, so there was, there was a survival um, instinct within our family of just making it in a new country and, you know, um, and all those, all those things that come with being, um, starting, st um, starting out a new life, but also challenging financially. I mean, we didn't have a lot and, you know, um, struggling with sev to raise seven kids. And then there was that, that outside pressure, uh, for sure of, um, you know, just, uh, racism was a, a, was a common denominator and a common, um, factor that, that conversation that we had because we'd never experienced it where we'd come from. Um, and so because we have the seven kids, there's, a, there's a quite a wide age, age range in, in, 
in the kids. I, I was I don't remember a lot of it because I was much younger. But the impact and the scars on our families exist today. Um, and we still discuss those days. Growing up in a large family can be advantageous because having a large built-in support system and community creates security. My mom and seven uncles were raised in a town where the Ku Klux Klan was active. They were the only people of color for miles around, but I think they escaped violent attacks because they were a large, tight-knit, and fearless family. But yeah, the challenges were, you know, we, you know, we all tell stories of, you know, my sisters being chased home, my brother fighting, you know, to protect various siblings. And, uh, and it was a constant companion for us growing up, just being um, othered um, no matter where we went. Um, and so, yeah, so it was a challenge, but it was, you know, the, the challenge um, was, was, it was intensified with the challenges, the struggles of just, you know, survival. Um, in a new country and adapting to a new environment. Um, you know, my parents working multiple jobs, the older children being kind of parents to the younger kids, all of that stuff we, you know, we, we, have, to, we have to deal with, which is, which is a common immigrant story, right? Sure. I mean, sure. I think we all, we, you know, and so I don't, I don't think we were unique, but at the time we thought we were the only ones. <laughs> As you reflect back to those days and you look at your life now and you look at your business career, your entrepreneurial career and your speaking career, how has that previous life informed what you're doing today? Well, I, you know, I have this famous saying uh, uh, that I use all the time when uh, people underestimate me or, um, you know, never bet against an immigrant. I would say never because we have a fifth gear that most people don't have. And, and I see that even with the people I employ that come as immigrants because you have this additional chip on your shoulder because your parents sacrificed so much um, to give you the gift of opportunity, right? Um, so that's something that's just, you know, that's in you. I see it not just only in myself, but I see it in people that, that I employ that come from, you know, immigrant families that, you know, that, that really are grateful for what the, for the opportunities that they have, grateful for life and grateful uh, to their, their, you know, their parents or their family for making very, very tough decisions to leave the only place they've ever known as home and comfortable for this auspicious gift of opportunity. Bruce says that this fifth gear manifests itself in different ways, like a never give up or a don't take no for an answer attitude. He says those attitudes are complemented by a high level of confidence that has pushed him to be a transformational entrepreneur. So it comes out in so, so many different ways on how those days in my life growing up um, gave me the tenacity, the will, the, you know, um, the ability to, you know, uh, fail and get better um, and analyze your weaknesses. And, you know, and, you know, there's, there's a street smarts and a, like I consider myself a street fighter more than I consider myself an entrepreneur. Like, I just, I just think I, I, I think I'm capable of so much. And you have that when you're, when you're, you know, when your support system has um, limited you, um, you know, s systemically. Yeah, um, it's hard for people to understand that don't come from that. Being a person of color, as much as you have allies and people that you know support and understand, they never truly understand, you know, this internal drive or the ability to overcome obstacles because, you know, obstacles to me are just in the way of where I need to go. They don't ever, you know, distract from my purpose and focus. Right, mm -hmm. and I just, I just think that those kind of things 
come out in, you know, in where you come from. I think, and so I can't really answer your question in, in you know, in a definitive sense, but it's, it's a constant companion with me every day. And I see it, that I don't see it in other people. You, you reminded me of a line that I love in Hamilton, the musical Hamilton, an exchange between Lafayette and Hamilton. And they say, immigrants, we get the job done. <laughs> oh, yeah. That should be the tagline for America. Yeah. Right there. I mean, absolutely. that is, that is absolutely, that should be, if America had a tagline, it's the United States, immigrants, we get the job done. And then maybe people would grow to appreciate what a beautiful and wonderful thing democracy has created. In an offline conversation, Bruce told me that his early career dream was to be a police officer. I wondered if he was drawn to law enforcement for the same reason that drew us to lawyering. I also wondered if we share the same reasons for transitioning to a career in the travel industry. Oh, boy. Um, well, <laughs> no, I mean, um, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I think when I, I, thought, I, think when I was young, um, when, you are, when you feel that you don't have an equal footing with authority, yes. um, you naturally want to participate in authority. So, you know, um, bec- and so there's a natural... That I, I, you might call it like the, the the fight for injustice, or but there's a natural calling in every human being to want to make things better. I, I believe that people start as divine, beautiful, you know, souls, and then the world dictates based on your experiences, you know, how you react to the world, or how you you know, and so you know if you if you live in it if, if you feel internally, and it might not be even obvious. Um, you know, obvious things. If you live in a system that you feel that you don't have equal justice um, under authority, um, you have a natural, I think you have a natural kind of um, uh, ingrained spirit to want to, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, that, that kind of mentality. Um, and so that's because, that I mean, I'm, and so like, I, I'm, you know, so I used to look at um, firemen and policemen and doctors and and you know, essential workers as somewhat as, as heroic, and you know, and our and our society puts these people on on on, a, on 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 give this status. But when you're one of those people that you feel that you're um, not seen, or that you're invisible, um, there's a certain there's a certain part of you that just wants to change, make that change. Um, and so something along the way, um, I've always. My my my, my parents, uh, you know, my family used to call me the great defender because I used to, I used to argue, would, would be prepared to argue about anything and everything, but mainly to defend my um, brothers who were very quiet and I was never quiet. So I was always defending someone else, but not defending myself, of course. But um, um, and so, you know, all of those things, I think, play into, you know, what you become. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's hard to, this is a very interesting conversation because it's, I've never, I haven't thought about it till this very minute, but I mean, uh, you know, I've often, you know, thought of that. Like I, when I went into my high school, in my high school, they, we did these uh, surveys that they were very extensive at the time uh, to give you advice on where you should go, like what you should do. And after I filled out all my stuff and I filled out all the personality surveys and there was these big meetings with your guidance counselor about, you know, what you should be, my guidance counselor told me I should be a forest ranger. <laughs> I remember that meeting clearly. I was like, a forest ranger? <laughs> I was like, um, why exactly? And so, um, and I look back on that and there's so much, 
um, there, there is links for what I do in terms of the planet and caretaking and um, those elements that existed in me in such a young age, even though I thought, well, what are they telling me to go into this career of, of being a forest ranger? But, um, you know, the, all these kind of things I think back and think they, they were so critical in my development, though. Yeah. But ultimately, I was an entrepreneur from a very young age. So um, I, I knew I wanted to be in business. It's the only thing that I was successful at when I was young. Um, if you read my book, you knew I was, I was uh, the first time I got a job was at 16. I, got, I was at Denny's and I got fired after two weeks. And then I went to McDonald's. I didn't, I, couldn't tell, I didn't even tell my parents I got fired because I was so embarrassed and I got a job at McDonald's across the street then I got fired during the training program. Um, and so I was, I was kind of, and at 16, I was like, like I thought my life was over. Like my resume is destroyed. <laughs> my first two jobs, my first two jobs, I'm fired. And I'm just, I'm just trouble. But the only thing I'd ever been successful in was starting businesses, which I'd started three businesses before I turned 16. So entrepreneurship and my path was and my destiny was more mm-hmm. so than my path was always very clear um, to me. And Bruce also had a clear vision when he started G Adventures 30 years ago. So we asked how he discovered his vision and whether that same vision is still alive today. Yeah, very much so in, in, in just a, a much bigger sense, obviously, um, and more resources, I guess, at, at my disposal. But I mean, originally, it's I went backpacking, right? And I, you know, this was way back in 1989, 1990, where I went backpacking on a $10 a day budget. And my eureka moment, you, but people have to remember what travel was like before the internet, before, I mean, when we started G-Adventures, we didn't even have um, uh, a fax machine yet. So I remember the first hotel reservations that I made for my first trip, I sent the reservations by mail. They sent back the, converse, the, the, the confirmation by mail, and then I sent them a... a uh, international um, check uh, to pay the deposit, all done by mail. Um, so, but but for travel to you know when when I was traveling, I just remember that the moment was when I was I was in Thailand at the time, and I saw coaches going back and forth in air conditioned buses, staying in Best Western and Hilton hotels. I thought, you know, those people on the bus are not seeing what I'm seeing. They're not living my life living with a local family, staying in a home, eating, eating dinner with the family every night, you know, experiencing a grassroots cultural immersion type experience. And there's got to be other people that want that. And there was two travelers. There was the mainstream traveler who went on a, a, a compound resort coach tour or cruise. And then there was the old days where you got a, a, a guidebook and just backpacked. And that was the original kind of eco-tourist or adventure traveler who just did it themselves. And so the, our name, Gap, was bridging the gap between the mainstream traveler and the backpacker. So I said, there's got to be someone that wants something organized, doesn't have the amount of time to go backpacking for a month or two months, but wants something, but wants that, you know, that grassroots experience and wants to actually see what a culture, what a country is really about, which is it, generally it's people and it's culture. Um, and that was the eureka moment that, that to form gap adventures at the time uh, which is bridging the gap between those two worlds um, people young people at the time disposable income holiday time mm-hmm. but you don't want to backpack you, i don't want to organize i didn't want to backpack but i had no choice i said i wanted to go traveling i have no options so i got a guidebook and did it myself and i don't like organizing my own stuff i don't like having delays when a bus isn't there and you know but i wanted that experience and then I, while i was on the road seeing people in mainstream kind of you know, these coaches, air-conditioned coaches with the 
you know, a North American guide in the front seat with a microphone, you know, tell, looking people up, looking out the window, that arm's length experience. Yeah. I was not living what I was living at the time. Like I was dealing with the real world and this country at a grassroots level. And I got it, had to think that people also wanted that. And that was really the genesis of, and my eureka moment as an entrepreneur. I mean, we were, it, people were different back then. If you wanted to research a destination, if you wanted to go to Africa or you wanted to go to Latin America and you wanted to research it, you had to go to a library, right? You couldn't just Google it on your phone. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have to go to look at pictures of Africa. You'd either have to see it on TV, a National Geographic kind of special, or any research you did, you either had to go to a travel agent or go to a library to determine where you wanted to travel. So people's, you know, um, how they how they consume travel, how they decided where they wanted to go, was based on so many different things. But it was done based on their own research or their own feeling where they wanted to go, as opposed to where we come right now, which we've commoditized travel, and it's about discounts and selling capacity and you know a, a room and a ship and amenities and those kind of things that we're that they're truly selling, as opposed to the destination. We're right. getting, I think it's just before COVID, I think we were in danger as an industry of being disconnected from destinations. I think that's dangerous for us in travel. Like people need to be more purposeful on why they want to go to this country over that country. Like there's got to be a feeling in you that says, I want to see this place and I connect to this culture at this point in my life. Um, and that's where travel can be so transformational when you do it, you know, with that mind. Yeah, Absolutely. you you've hit on so many of the touchstones that we that speak to us uh, purposeful transformative you're listening to the award-winning world footprints podcast with ian and tanya fitzpatrick world footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences discover the world through stories at worldfootprints.com and make sure to subscribe to the world footprints newsletter for compelling and exclusive content We delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but rarely admit the changes it has gone through to achieve that beauty. Maya Angelou. The butterfly transforms the way we do when we give space to the experiences that travel gifts us. That's Satanianism. Here's more of our conversation with Bruce Poontip of G Adventures. That eureka moment for you in this travel space, as you look back then to where things are now, even on a global level in the travel space, what do you see? How do you look at what you saw then and even the space you occupy now uh, and how that's evolved? Today, as in us talking right now, I've never been more optimistic, but I would say that just pre-pandemic, I wasn't nearly as optimistic. I was actually on a bit of a tear globally um, um, to kind of, I was on my soapbox doing as many speaking engagements around the world. I was, I, 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 the, the year before COVID, I traveled 350,000 miles on you know, speaking tours like, with, with this message. Um, but today I've, I've never been more optimistic. And, I, and another thing I, I've been using internally, we never waste a good pandemic because the change, there's an opportunity for us to change uh, as an industry. Um, because the consumer has changed. We've done tons of um, data and, and research with our customers about what they want, want the, what they want to see on the other side of COVID and this pandemic. And it's amazing how the uh, people's minds have changed because we we keep very close to um, you know the mentality of our customers prior and to, and to where they are now. They're just more open than ever. They want to travel, but they want to do it the right way. 
Mm. They want to have a positive impact. They want to be purposeful. That didn't exist to the level anyways that it exists now. I think this, this, this forced pause in travel and the shutdown of the planet um, has made people realize how important travel is to them, how important and meaningful it, it was to them, and how they, they wasted those opportunities in the past. Um, and now if they're going to travel and there's going to be inherent risk for the short term because COVID is not going away, um, even though people are starting to travel again and borders are opening, we're not in any better, we're not in any better of a situation than we were in the developed world coming out of COVID. But people are realizing now, well, we're going to have to live with this. Travel is important to me. Um, and why is it important to me? I think also has to do with COVID because COVID kind of brought the world together in many ways, as much as it's created divisiveness, it made the world seem so small to people mm -hmm. that, you know, that in this market in Asia, something could have started and spread so quickly and how we need all of us to come together as a planet to get out of it. Uh, whether that's, you know, vaccine programs, you know, this whole concept of proof of vaccination, um, we all have to kind of come together to contain it but it's not going away. So travel is going to have inherent risk moving forward. And it's important enough for people that they are, will take um, a bit of risk. You know, now that you can get vaccinated, now there's the mask, now there's the social distancing. We know all those things, but we will travel again, but we're going to do it in a more purposeful and meaningful way. Um, and we're, and, and so that's the opportunity for us. And so I am quite optimistic at the moment. So it's a good time. Bruce admitted that the last 18 months have been a roller coaster ride and that he jokingly thought about moving into commodity trading. He'd probably do quite well, but I also think he'd be miserable because he knows what he's doing is so much bigger than himself. I think there's a huge opportunity for, for travel to finally accept um, as an industry, that we can be such, such a transformational industry for so many people and so many communities, not only just the traveler, like we've always just talked about the traveler having that transformational experience um, because travel, you know, you know, opens your mind or does whatever, like it gives you that the appreciation of where you sit in the universe or, or the planet. But now travel can be so transformational for everyone. It's people on the ground, it's communities, it's employees, it's, you know, and it can be such a tool for the for our planet to understand each other better and you know which is a you know it's which is the fastest path to peace for us as a planet so i have this really high view of travel but the industry as a whole has to accept that uh accept that we can we can be that transformational industry and i and i can just see all these other companies are putting out all these programs now and you know some of them are greenwashing and some of them are but everyone's doing something because they're trying to answer the needs of the customer that was a much-needed hopeful message because we've wondered, as a media company, if anyone was hearing our messages about meaningful travel, the beauty of our shared humanity, and the importance of earthly stewardship. Based on what we're seeing in the news, I wasn't sure if anyone was listening. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that, a lot of that ignorance and a lot of that divisiveness is is bred when people. Um, Know, don't understand something. You know, when you when you when you lack understanding and knowledge of something, it brings that fear of the other person or the other group or the other culture, or the other religion, um, and it's that ignorance is what breeds this divisiveness and anger. Um, what better way to break down those walls than travel? I mean, um, and for people to get out there and travel. So, yeah, there's been moments where I mean, I'm I'm equally disheartened. Um, 
on, on, a, on you know, seeing everything that goes on, whether it was Brexit or whether it's George Floyd. Um, these things are all symptoms. They're not problems, right? They're the symptoms that exist in society uh, because of ignorance and the lack of understanding of how other people live and appreciation for where you sit in the universe. Like, that's the big thing. I always say that you have to just understand where um, you come from and travel can give you that great understanding. If you only ever live in your community where you're comfortable and you only ever have access, you, re you start regurgitating what you know um, and living a life of what you know. But to truly um, live a, a, you know, a purposeful life, you have to understand that you know, we're on this rock that rotates around the sun together and we're sharing this planet together. And the only way you can understand where you truly come from is understand who you're sharing this world with. Um, and travel gives you, the greatest gift it gives you is when you come home, actually. It isn't when you're there, that people pay for that experience. But the gift is when you come home and you have a better understanding of your place in the universe and appreciation for where you come from. To appreciate where you come from and not make it, you know, the only thing you know. I mean, that's really the, the great gift of travel. And I, keep, I, I tell that to people all the time and yeah. people don't quite get it. You know, you think of everything you get is when you go traveling, but everything you get is when you come back. That is so profound. I was curious about the gifts and lessons that travel has given Bruce. What have you learned about yourself mm. uh, in terms of some of the big lessons that continue to shape your view and have helped you to grow mm. through all of this travel, through this journey that you've been on in this space? Um, well, I, I, okay, for travel, I mean, for me, the, 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 what I've learned the most is about um, what I call inspired leadership. Um, so I obviously run a big uh, global company now, and we have you know, thousands of employees in over 100 countries. Um, it's, and you know, your leadership is evolves and is challenged on a constant basis. And, and so I have, you know, you know, it's easy. You know, I've met CEOs of different companies, whether it's, you know, uh, big companies that have all of their employees in one building. And I say, you know, your job is, is a piece of piss compared to mine. You have everyone in your building. It's easy to lead by example, just being uh, a great leader. People see you working hard, so they work hard and you have access. But I have to inspire people because, you know, 60% of the people that work for me, I might never meet in their entire careers with me. Um, yet I have to get them to work, wake up every day and deliver on, on a, a very aggressive brand promise and also achieve their potential in their lives, love the brand and, de and deliver, you know, you know, outstanding service in dedication to our brand and our, and our, our true purpose as a company. And so travel has taught me that global perspective of how cultures are different, you know, Asia. Africa, Latin America, North Americans, Europeans, we're all different in what, what, you know, in many ways in how we live, but we're all connected in ways that are, um, there's seeds that are sown on, you know, we all want to be loved. We all want to, you know, um, do good. I think people are generally good at the heart of uh, their heart of hearts, but we just sometimes lose our path on the way. So travel has given me that ability to inspire people um, and to and to evolve, continually evolve my leadership um, to to create something really special at G Adventures, which um, has been disrupted at the moment. But but you know, travel has given me that gift. Tolerance, tolerance is another very very um, um, uh, underappreciated gift. Um, so you don't have to you know, it's not about you know loving everybody. 
but it's understanding everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, and, and, and that's the greatest gift you travel. That, 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 that leaks in all as- aspects of your life though. That when I'm standing in a grocery store waiting in line and, you know, and people start fighting for someone, you know, cutting the line or uh, anti-maskers that are kind of fighting, whatever it is, that appreciation for, a, 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 you know, the global well-being of uh, the planet is a gift that comes from travel. And that tolerance is a divine gift. It's a divine gift to peace for within your own life, but also something that you give to the world when you, you, know, you, you allow yourself to, um, you know, be that, be that person that can be a model for that. We were talking about transformation and, you know, the power, the transformative power of travel is the title of the talk I gave just yesterday. <laughs> what has been your most transformative travel experience? Well, I would say it's, a, it's, it's my most transformative is in my recent years, taking my kids to places I've been before. Um, so I, um, so, tra- you know, my, my, I'm about to lose my kids to university and I'm, I'm heartbroken and, and mourning they're lost even though they're just moving away um but in the in the last um seven or eight years um i've i've taken the places that i've been to many times and familiar with and so sometimes you get jaded when you're in travel like you know i talk about two the last two of the last trips that we did one was to india and the other was to the galapagos islands um both places i've been to over a, a dozen times um for different reasons whether it was for work or for 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 a leisure i've been to those places and i'd seen them a certain way and i thought them i thought them of them as beautiful destinations rich in different areas offered me something that i loved as a travel to see but seeing them with new eyes um through my children um and and getting the opportunity to show that to them um created uh it was such a new experience for me like india is a very good example that it's such a um, I would say aggressive destination in terms of the attack on all senses when you go there, but it's such a magical place. And I had gotten jaded somewhat and I didn't realize it until I was there with my kids who were seeing it for the first time. And with new eyes, I could just appreciate once again, like as if it was new for me. Um, and that, and that, that, those are special moments. You know, I get asked all the time about, you know, where's your favorite place to travel and what's your best trip? And my answer to that is always the same, which is my last one. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you have to get to a place where you, you, you travel and not compare. And that's like, that's getting highly evolved as humans where we, because we naturally want to reference everything to what we know, right? Even when you watch a movie, you compare it to another movie. So this is, how did you, can we ever get to a point where we just appreciate what's in front of us as opposed to judging it, right? right. And so it's hard for me to say, where's my favorite place to travel? Where's the best trip you've ever taken? And I always, my, so my answer is always the last one. But getting that gift of seeing things and reopening my eyes and like getting a chance to see things new again um, was, a, was uh, a, a gift. Yes, travel is a gift. And for people who travel frequently, we're always curious to know if they've identified their soul country, you know, a place that feels like home. And that's a question we pose to Bruce. Whether you believe in reincarnation or other lives, doesn't matter. But there's places in the world when you get there, you feel that this, and there's two for me. One is Ecuador in South America, and the other one is Spain. Hmm. Spain, there's only one place in the world that I go that I know no matter where I am, I know that's north, that's east, that's south, and that's Calgary, where I was raised. No matter where I go in Calgary, I don't know why, 
but I can tell you which way, no matter where I am, I can say that's North Calgary, that's East, and I can point it out. And that's, there's, there's some kind of built-in GPS with me in Calgary. And Spain is the other place. Like when I landed in Spain, there was something so familiar with that country. And I, haven't, I actually haven't been to Spain a lot of times, it's been a few times, but there's something about that country that was more familiar to me than any other country that I've been. And when I ate the food, like there was, it, 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 something about everything to do with Spain resonated with me in a spiritual way, which I, was, which I wasn't expecting. Um, Ecuador is the same thing. Ecuador is another country that's so diverse and so unknown. But when I went there, the, the comfortable, you know, how comfortable it was and how real it was to me on an intrinsic and spiritual level, uh, I can't explain to people. And people should be aware of those things. And you can't necessarily feel that if you're going to like a compound resort um, mm -hmm. and you're behind walls um, and you have a meal plan. Um, you know, you have to get out there. And that's the beautiful thing about travel, like finding yourself in those kind of experiences. As we concluded the conversation with Bruce, we had to end with our standard question about who he would want to sit next to, past or present, on a long haul flight to one of his sole countries, Spain or Ecuador. This is a tougher one because I usually, you get asked how many people would you have at a dinner party and I can pick a few, <laughs> but one, um, it's gonna be Nelson Mandela. It's gonna be Nelson Mandela, I'm gonna have to say. But on the wider table would be the Dalai Lama, Steve Jobs and Gandhi with, with him. But if I'm gonna pick one, it's gonna be Nelson Mandela. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, tenacity, grit, leadership, dedication, commitment. Like he represents everything that I believe in humanity. Um, forgiveness, you know, compassion, like all of these great things that I want to incorporate in business and I've strived to kind of incorporate in my life and in business, he encompasses it all. But you know, Steve Jobs' innovation, Mahatma Gandhi was, and the Dalai Lama, there's peace, there's all kinds of things and peace, but above all, all of these people and especially leadership. He did it all from a point, a place of complete servant leadership. Mm. And that to me is, is, is you know, the, the dream, the goal. Like, we're here to serve and leadership should incorporate um, that. And, you know, Richard Greenleaf wrote a book in 1973 called Servant Leadership that is more relevant today than ever before, that we're here to, to, to find our destiny, our purpose, and in leadership, it becomes even more critical. And it's, it, these theories are abandoned in today's leadership, but Nelson Mandela. Wow. Um, I had a couple of moments during this conversation with Bruce. He really, really spoke to my heart, and I'm so grateful for his words uh, because they breathe life into, into me and what we're doing here. Sometimes in life you come across a person who... Um, the first time you meet them, you feel connected to them. You right. feel like they're your soul brother, your uh, uh, person who gets you and you get them. And that's how I felt uh, speaking to Bruce for the very first time and hearing his insights, uh, speaking to the very same things that we've been trying to do with World Footprints was refreshing and just and I would Good. say trying. We are doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Abs absolutely. But 
the point I'm really trying to make is that Bruce is a real soul brother yes. in, a, in a real spiritual sense, and he gets it. And uh, I appreciate his voice in this space. We need more Bruce's out there to carry that message forward. And I'm looking forward to future conversations with him. <laughs> yes, I hope we have many, many more conversations with Bruce. He certainly was a blessing to us. And I hope this conversation that we're sharing has been a blessing to you listening. In closing, I think it's appropriate that we reflect on the words of Nelson Mandela. As he wrote in his 1994 autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, a leader is like a shepherd. He stays behind the flock, letting the most nimble go ahead, whereupon the others follow, not realizing that all along they are being directed from behind. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we thank you for choosing to spend this time with us. We are grateful for your support and for the opportunity to share the world through the stories we offer on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.